You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. We are thankful for all our dads that are represented here today. We do have a Father's Day book in the back in the basket right next to the sound booth if you want to pick up one of those on your way out. Uh, That's our gift to you today. Uh, We've been away from Exodus the past couple of weeks. Thankful for Tyson and Marcus, who both stepped in while I was away on vacation. Uh, Both of them taught from New Testament passages that help us to see how the message of Exodus intertwines with what's going on in the New Testament. But today we're back in Exodus chapter 15, and we left off three weeks ago with the Song of Moses, the Song of the Red Sea, the celebration that took place after God's deliverance in the Red Sea. So the the children of Israel had been backed into a corner, weren't really sure how they were going to get out of it, were complaining and grumbling and questioning God's provision. And then God splits the Red Sea open. They go walking through on dry land. The Red Sea crushes down on the Egyptians, obliterates that threat moving forward. And then a praise and worship service uh, ensues after that. And so we looked at the content of those lyrics and the importance of song in our life. We talked about how uh, songs are meant to speak to our hearts when, when we're prone to question God's goodness, that sometimes we need music, we need song, we need lyrics to remind our hearts of the truths that we should be clinging to. Uh, we also talked about being a church that's not known for its music, Uh, Because there's all kinds of different music choices that are out there. And as people come and visit, we've got visitors today. We want to be a church that's not known for our music. We want to be a church that's known for our singing, right? Because we talked about uh, our responsibility to sing, uh, the commands that we have to sing, to express the trust that we have in God's provision, and to do that through song, uh, to let our hearts overflow in singing because of our gratefulness to what God has done for us. And so, Uh, That's where we left off three weeks ago with uh, God providing for Israel, Israel seeing that provision, experiencing that provision, and giving praise and worship to God for that provision. Uh, But then my challenge to you three weeks ago was to not forget, uh, because the children of Israel are prone to forget. Um, And the book of Psalms reminds us that they forgot. And when they forgot, they would fall back into discouragement and despair when they needed God's provision, and they weren't sure if they were going to get God's provision. And that's what happens in verse 22 of chapter 15. So I draw your attention to our text today. It says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, And do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Our summary sentence for today, once we cross from death to life, the Lord puts us on a journey of sanctification that involves us learning to trust his provision more and more, particularly in the ways he works to heal our bitter circumstances 
by making them sweet. Once we cross from death to life, the Lord puts us on a journey of sanctification that involves us learning to trust his provision more and more, particularly in the ways he works to heal our bitter circumstances by making them sweet. For our kids, God wants us to learn to trust him always while never complaining. The picture here is that the children of Israel have crossed from death to life, right? They were, they were in slavery, uh, they were in bondage, and they were in a trap where they could not escape themselves. They couldn't save themselves. They couldn't save themselves from the Egyptians in Egypt. They certainly couldn't save themselves when they were on the brink of the Red Sea. They were, they were completely subjected to uh, the threat of the Egyptians unless God steps in and God does step in. Right? And so they cross from death to life. They are brought into uh, this renewed relationship with him where they're now his people fully. The Egyptians have been vanquished, and now they are going to follow him into the wilderness, into the promised land. Our salvation is very similar. We're rescued from sin. We're rescued out of the bondage and slavery to sin and death, a, a predicament that we couldn't fix ourselves right? Christ fixes that on the cross. We cross from death to life, the New Testament tells us, and we too are put on a journey of sanctification. And we're going to see today how our journey of sanctification is very similar. It involves us learning to trust in his provision more and more. And that God oftentimes puts us in situations where he has to work to heal our bitter circumstances by making them sweet. The question being, will we trust that he will do that? Will we trust that he can do it? Will we trust that he will do it? Or will we fall into the same trap as the Israelites where we're prone to grumble and complain when our circumstances feel bitter? We're going to see today that God wants us to trust in his provision, and it's a sign of spiritual maturity. As we grow and mature in our faith, one of those markers for how we know if we are growing is whether or not we're prone to trust his provision, particularly when we can't see it particularly when it's in situations where it doesn't feel like he's going to provide. Now, to set the context again, the children of Israel have left Egypt, and it's a large number of Israelites, right? They had gone in as a family of 70 years and years and years before when, uh, when uh, Joseph had brought down um, the remnants of his family, and they lived there, they dwelt there. God multiplies them greatly, and now they've come out of Egypt as a large nation, So you can imagine that as a leader for Moses, finding food and water for this large amount of people in the wilderness is a significant need, and it's a real potential threat for them. Will they be able to provide for the needs of the people? Our need ourselves for ongoing daily provision provides opportunities for God to test our faith regularly, just as he did the Israelites. We're going to see that Throughout their time in the wilderness, God is constantly testing their faith. Will they trust him for their daily provision? Will they trust him for food and water? The same is true for us today as believers. Will we trust God for our daily provision? Will we be ready to trust him when he tests our faith in that provision, right? When he rattles our circumstances and we feel like our provisions of food and water are potentially in jeopardy, will we trust him for that provision? There's a couple of miracles that we're going to see worked in this passage. The first being that God miraculously provides water in multiple ways. Right? One, he's going to turn bitter water to sweet. That's a miracle. Two, it's a miracle that he provides uh, an ongoing source of water for them beyond this one particular spring they find. He ends up leading them to an oasis where they can find rest and relaxation and, and plenty of food and water for themselves. Right? Um, but really, there's an additional miracle, more of a spiritual miracle, in that God does this for his imperfect children who complain against him. 
Like, let's don't miss that. These aren't people who are worthy of God's provision. These aren't people who have earned God's provision. In fact, they're the opposite. They're people who God continues to work for, continues to provide for. He's done it all through the plagues. He's now done it miraculously for all of them to see once and for all at the Red Sea. And three days later, they're grumbling and complaining. And it's these people that God doesn't give up on. It's these people that God has started a good work in, that God finishes the good work in them. It's these people that God continues to work miracles for. That's an encouragement to us because we may be prone to grow discouraged even in ourselves because we continue to fail God by not trusting him like we should, right? And this is a reminder to us that God continues to work for his people. We're his children. He bought us. He purchased us. He rescued us, right? He continues to work in us and through us. And that's what he does for the Israelites here. Let's jump into the text by looking at number one. Number one, understand past victories are not exemptions from present temptations. Understand that past victories are not exemptions from present temptations. All right, what's going on here? Well, we've seen a great victory at the Red Sea. We've seen a great victory where God worked and moved and provided. And then three days later, they're in a bad predicament again. I don't know uh, what kind of TV shows you like to watch. Lauren and I are in the midst of watching uh, re-watching a TV show that we watched years ago that I catch a lot of flack for around here because everybody says it's a silly show, but I just really enjoy it. Um, and it was put out by Disney years ago. It's Once Upon a Time, all right? It's this, it's this story about fairy tale characters who are constantly trying to find uh, their happy ending, right? And so they're constantly trying to find this happy ending. And you as the viewer, like you get in, involved in their lives and you see them vanquish and conquer the bad guy only to find out that there's another one right around the corner, right? So as Lauren and I are watching this, we're watching it, we're seeing kind of the bad guy starting to fall, and then we'll start to talk about like, hey, who's the next bad guy that comes here? Because like, there's one right around the corner because they don't get their happy ending, right? They don't get their happily ever after. It wouldn't make for a good TV show if they did, right? Like the drama of the tension between good guys and bad guys makes for good TV. Well, These shows that depict good people who never get their happily ever after because the next bad guy always comes is a picture of us as believers as well. And yet oftentimes we expect the opposite. We expect to have our happily ever after now, right? And to the point that we're oftentimes shocked when more trials and more temptations and more troubles and more difficulties come into our life as though the last one should have been the last one. Right? Like if we're, if, we're, if we're honest with ourselves, oftentimes we think, hey, what I just went through was pretty big. Like that ought to cover me for a while. And then we're shocked when like the next trial comes into our life. As believers, we should never expect our happily ever after here. The next trial, the next temptation, the next trouble will come. Right? Until Jesus comes back, we're destined to experience this cycle of difficulties coming our way, these constant testings of our faith, and will we trust him for his provision? God's past victories don't exempt us from more bad guys, but they should guarantee our ongoing trust in him for additional victories. Right? So the children of Israel may have gone into this thinking, well, we just got rescued from the Egyptians. We just came through the Red Sea. Like It should be smooth sailing from here to the promised land. And then once we get to the promised land, it should be really smooth sailing. And yet three days later, they can't find water. Like the next trial has presented itself. And what are they going to do with it? 
You may be in a season of life as an individual, as a family, where you've just come through some trial, some difficulty, some challenge. And it may not be that much longer until the next one hits, right? And you may not get a whole lot of chance to breathe before the next one comes. The reminder to us here is that the answer continues to be the same. The one who works the victory continues to move and lead in our lives. The children of Israel are faced with another predicament, the question being, what will they do with it? Number one, it takes three days for Israel to forget the glories of the Red Sea experience. It takes three days for Israel to forget the glories of the Red Sea experience. Says that Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness and they went for three days in the wilderness and they found no water. And then they find water, right? They find this drink at Mara that becomes bitter. And so that's not going to work. And they begin to grumble and complain. Now, three days may seem short. It seems like a really short amount of time, right? Like if you picture, we were watching. on vacation, we were watching, we stayed up late with the kids and the cousins one night, and I said, I want to watch a movie that's got the ocean in it, because we're at the ocean. And so we watched The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And in that movie, at the end of it, with Aslan, like on the heels of his country, like there's water that's kind of standing, like I kind of picture the Red Sea, right? So I'm thinking about, okay, if three days ago, I see this, this giant body of water like the ocean split in two, and there's columns on both sides where the water can't touch me, and I'm walking through on dry land. How is it that three days later, I'm questioning God's provision of water, right? It's, it's, it seems like a short amount of time, but let's don't get too quick in judging them because three days without water is life-threatening, right? It's life-threatening. Um, they're pushed to the brink with these three days. And as they go deeper into the wilderness, they're finding no resolution, right? They find a resolution. They think this best hope of what they've seen in the last three days, they find water, but it's bitter. They can't drink it. Like they, 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 can't, they can't process it. So it's not going to help them. So we look at it and we say, man, like three days earlier, you guys are walking through the Red Sea. How can you be grumbling and complaining right now? Well, they're probably pushed to the point of death here potentially, Like, we don't know what their water supply was like, but it's certainly not where they're still sharing water. I mean, they're they're in in crisis mode. We got to find it. And so we can't find it. So what are we going to do about it? We're probably worse than the Israelites because it takes less time and less threatening circumstances for us to do the same thing. Most of us don't have to get pushed to the point of death before we start questioning God's goodness. We just get pushed to the point of discomfort just a little bit, and we start to question God's goodness, right? Um, I, found myself, I found myself at the closing of our house a few weeks ago, right? So we're, Lauren and I are acting on faith. We feel like the Lord is leading us to both sell our house and to purchase a house. We talked extensively about how we don't know how to do both of those at the same time, and so we were praying that the Lord would give us direction on how to do this. And so this just kind of fell in our lap where we had an offer, a good offer, a a way for us to get out of our house, not have to do anything to our house. And so um, I'm sitting at the closing with my realtor and the guy who's responsible for all the closing responsibilities. And they're both like, oh man, congratulations. Like so cool that this is working out for y'all. My realtor's like, man, it's really cool to see how God's working. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking like, I don't know if God's going to give us a house or not, right? Like I'm in the midst of God working and doing something, 
And I find my heart questioning, not three days later, but in the moment, it's like I'm walking through the Red Sea going, but are we going to be able to drink water when we're done with this? You know, it's like I'm worse than the Israelites because I question him far faster than even they did. And if you're honest, like you're probably the same way. Like we get pushed to a little bit of discomfort, a little bit of like, I'm not in control of this anymore. God's got to come through. God's got to provide. And we start to wonder, is he going to? right? Why are we quick to grumble and complain in similar manners after we recently experienced God's provision? I wrote down three things for me. These are three things that are true for me. This is why I grumble and complain quickly, even when I've recently experienced God's provision. One, I'm prone to minimize God's involvement after the fact once things settle. Like I'm, I'm good at coming up with how maybe natural explanations make more sense than God actually doing something there. Like, that's a fault of mine, that when God works and moves and does something crazy cool, like, I'm quick to, like, after things have settled, to kind of look back on it and maybe say, like, well, maybe that would have happened anyways. Like, how much was God involved in that? Now, we look at the Red Sea situation, and, like, there's not a natural explanation for that. Even though commentators today, after things have settled, I told you, they try to come up with explanations for how this wasn't as miraculous as the text seems to indicate. Maybe you're the same way. Maybe you tend to minimize God's provision in your life after the fact and maybe come up with natural explanations so that when the next trial comes, it really does feel like crisis because you're like, I'm not sure whether God's going to do anything because I'm having a hard time looking back into the past and seeing how he's worked. Number two, sometimes I wonder if God will keep doing good to me because I'm not worthy of it. And I know that, right? Like, will he do it again? Will he do it again? Will he do it again? Or have I run out of interventions in my life? Like, have I used them all up? Has God kind of looked at me now and said, look, I'm not going to do any more good to you. Like, you're just not, you're not worthy of it. I know that's not true. Like, I know scripture speaks differently, right? I'm not worthy of it. And yet he's chosen me. Like, all the things we learned in the book of Ephesians, like, he's adopted me into his family. He's bound himself to me. Right? Not because I'm worthy, but because he chose to love me. And yet, I'll still question whether he's going to be good to me because I feel unworthy of his goodness. And then lastly, I'm quick to forget how good he's been to me because I'm better at focusing on how he hasn't yet been good to me in this situation. It's because I'm just prone to forget. Was, it, was, it, was he good in all the things that he did to work out the selling of our house? Yeah, absolutely. And yet, I'm prone to focus more on well, it's been three weeks and he hasn't given us a house, so where is it, right? I'm prone to feel the bitter parts of my life versus looking back and seeing the sweet parts of where he's worked. That's why I'm quick to grumble and complain because I, I, I try to explain things away naturally. Like, hey, maybe it wasn't all God doing all of that. I'm, I'm prone to focus inwardly and say, I don't know if I'm worthy. Like, why would he continue to do good to me? And then number three, I just forget because I'm more prone to focus on where he hasn't worked versus reflecting on where he has. It takes three days for Israel to forget the glories of the Red Sea experience. If we're honest with ourselves, it probably takes us less time. Probably takes us less time. Number two, it takes the threat of immediate provisions for Israel to lose sight of eternal provisions. It takes the threat of immediate provisions for Israel to lose sight of eternal provisions. We won't take the time to look at it, but if you go back and read the song at the Red Sea, remember, they are singing about how God is going to plant them on his mountain. 
how he's going to establish them, how he's given them this victory. And now all their future enemies are scared because God is going to deliver. So they're singing about the future of what God will do. And yet as soon as they can't find water, all that seems to be up in the air, right? Like no longer are they willing to sing about being planted on God's mountain and all these enemies that are scared. They shouldn't be scared because we can't find water, right? They, they lose sight of what God has promised to do. And, and we're prone to do that as well, probably, right? Like we know that all these promises about what God's going to do for his people in the future and, and this great hope that we have that we're clinging to, that Jesus is coming back and we're getting new bodies and we're living with him forever. And yet in the moment, when it feels like food and water and shelter are potentially in jeopardy, we go into crisis mode. Just like at the Red Sea, they don't trust the Lord's presence with them is sufficient for their protection and provision. There's an ongoing recurring struggle for this group throughout their time in the wilderness. They continue to worry about food and about drink. But these are two topics that come up for us when we travel all the time as well, right? Like when you start talking about traveling, road trips, day trips, like one of the first questions is, what are we doing about food and drink, right? Like if you start planning a trip with somebody, it's not too long before questions come up with, what are we going to eat? What are our meals going to be, right? Like our family just came off of a trip to Florida. We're planning a trip to Snowbird. And that's one of the conversations that gets talked about. What are our meals going to be? Where are we going to eat? We went to a Braves game yesterday with uh, Taylor and Elliot. That was one of the questions that got came up. Like, where are we going to eat before we go to the game, right? It's an important topic because we need those things daily. We need to eat. We need to drink. And this group struggles with where that provision is going to come from during their time in the wilderness. God's goal is to root out the evils that they were clinging to because of their long-standing familiarity with the Egyptian customs and practices. Right? Remember, He's gotten them out of Egypt, but he's also trying to get Egypt out of them now that they're in the wilderness. And so the Egyptians would have had ways of dealing with a lack of food and water and where their trust would go. God's having to reprogram them. Here's where you go when you need to find food and water. It's to me. I'm your source of daily provision. And we're not too different than the Israelites in that sense too, right? Because think about how Jesus addresses this in the New Testament. Right? He says that we shouldn't stumble over these same issues like the Israelites did. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, he talks about how we shouldn't worry about food and drink. He talks about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field and how he cares for them, and they're far less valuable than us as his children. He says, you know who worries about those type of things? The Gentiles worry about food and drink. The Gentiles stress about food and drink. They grow anxious about their work. They grow anxious about their daily provision. Right? They worry about things like insurance. They worry about raises. They worry about their daily income. I'm your source of, of provision, the Lord says. And so Jesus says, like, you don't have to worry about these things. You can trust in your heavenly Father to provide for you. We need these same evils rooted out of us because we tend to act like Gentiles a lot of times when hard times hit. One commentator said, difficult times call for spiritual ways of handling things. Right? So we find ourselves in difficult spots, difficult circumstances, more trials coming, more troubles, more difficulties. Man, we're so quick to grumble and complain. We're so slow to pray and trust. But when these big type of things hit our families, hit our personal lives, what we want to see, what the Lord wants to see is us going more and more to prayer and trust and further and further away from grumbling and complaining. 
It starts with us understanding that past victories don't exempt us from present temptations. It starts with us recognizing that our happily ever after is not coming here. Yes, you may have just come through the biggest trial of your family's life, and it may be three more days, and then the next one's going to hit, and then the next one's going to hit. But the answer is continually the same. We trust him for provision. We trust him for care, right? He stays with us. He takes care of us, and he leads us. Number two, we recognize that bitter circumstances are intentional and purposeful. We recognize that bitter circumstances are intentional and purposeful. Notice how Moses initiates them leaving uh, the Red Sea, going into the wilderness. And it's in that, that time frame, those three days where they can't find the water. But it's not just Moses that's, that's, that's leading them, right? Like Mo, we've, we've seen already uh, that Moses is not the source of their, their leadership, right? It's God who's intentionally leading them. And so number one, God intentionally led them to the bitter waters by both cloud and fire, right? We, we saw earlier, we saw it in uh, Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22. How do the children of Israel know when to go and where to go? It's when the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire moves. They can travel by day, they can travel by night, but whenever that pillar moves, that's their indicator to go, and it's their indication as to where to go too, right? So they leave the Red Sea, they're in the wilderness, they're wandering for three days, they come to this spot, this bitter spot, and they grumble and complain. It's not given to us in the text, but make sure you note that the cloud of fire, the, cloud, the pillar of cloud, would have been right there with them in the bitter water. Why is that significant? Because they are led into this time of difficulty. They're led into this time of testing by God intentionally to put their faith into practice, to exercise those faith muscles. This dilemma is presented to them. Something is needed. The only provision they can find is something that won't work. What will they do now? I put in my notes, there are lessons to be learned in the time of waiting and wanting that can't be missed. Let me say that again. There are lessons to be learned in the time of waiting and wanting that can't be missed. God led them here. God led them here. Don't doubt when he leads you into that circumstance as well. Now, sometimes our trials and difficulties and challenges are due to our sinful choices, right? And we kind of bring some of that upon ourselves and God has to discipline us to get us out of that. There's other times where we're being faithful and we're seeking to be obedient to him and we're following him (coughs) and trials and challenges hit. And he's led us there. He's led us there for purpose. Now, we're going to get into it here in a minute, but we already have read in the text, there's a reason that they're here, right? The Lord made a statute and a rule, and he tested them. We're going to examine what he did in the midst of this, but the the first key point is that God led them there intentionally. The cloud and the fire brought them here. And they respond to this need and this uncertainty with grumbling and complaining, and it shows their immaturity. It shows where they need to grow, right? They're ungrateful. They're insecure. We use the phrase a lot of times, don't act like a baby. What do we mean by that? Well, 
when someone's acting like a baby that's not a baby, they're typically whining and screaming about things that they want that they don't have, and they're, they're failing to see the big picture that they should be able to see. There should be prayerful trust here, not this grumbling and complaining. The whining, the grumbling and complaining, it's characteristic of children. It's immaturity. It's an inability to see the big picture of what's going on. Bitter circumstances. We're not exempt from them. And until Jesus comes back, we will probably experience them ongoing throughout the rest of our life. But they can't lead to bitter hearts. Bitter circumstances can't lead to bitter hearts, right? The Lord leads us into bitter circumstances sometimes with the goal of us trusting his provision in the midst of it. But the children of Israel start to grow bitter here. There's disappointment. There's difficulty for sure. But it can't lead to perpetual discouragement and doubt. And that's where we have to guard and protect ourselves. Difficulties, right? They're going to come. Disappointments, they're going to come. But we can't respond with those with discouragement and doubt. And they needed to go back and sing their song again. Right? They needed to go back and, and, and go over the lyrics again of what they had just done at the Red Sea. One of my applications from the sermon three weeks ago is uh, I looked at our Spotify um, account, and Lauren has had it for a couple of years now, but she's the only one that can log in, right? And so I looked and I said, okay, for like 2 or $3 more, I can get like an account on that, and I can start listening to worship music when I'm driving around. I've, for years, have just kept the, the, the truck quiet when I ride around. Like, I don't listen to a whole lot of music. Um, but I know in the midst of uncertainties and challenges in my own life, there's times when I need to hit play, and I need to hear, I need to hear songs, theology, to remind my heart when I'm prone to doubt, right? Like, they needed to hit their Spotify list, and they needed to hit firm foundation to know that, like, he's not going to fail with water when he just split water wide open, right? But they're grumbling and complaining. We need to continue singing when we see the problems on a daily basis that accompany ordinary living. Like, that's why we sing, to remind our hearts to trust Him. They needed to be reminded that God hears, that He has power over creation. He showed that with the plagues. They needed to be reminded that with... um, that he is especially uh, in control of what they needed at the time, the water, right? Like he had just shown the control over the water with the Red Sea. God led them to the bitter waters. They didn't need to doubt him there. But number two, (coughs) God could have led them to the oasis first had he wanted to. That's something that we don't want to miss either. God doesn't create the oasis at Elam, it's, it's, always, it's always been there. It's still there today. Like Bedouins that travel in that area, they still use that area as an oasis to get water when they need it. Like it was there. And God didn't lead them there. He could have. He could have bypassed the bitterness. He could have bypassed this place where the water was no good. He could have taken them straight there after the Red Sea and they would have had plenty of water and he didn't do it. These 12 springs, these 70 palm trees, They were already available, but he delayed their revelation until the proper time. It wasn't time to show them that yet. There was a lesson that he wanted them to learn before he showed them. The lesson that he wanted them to hear and see is that he is their source of provision. He's the one that provides. Right? He does it miraculously here. 
He does it miraculously by, by this log being thrown into the water and the water becoming sweet. would love to know what that water tasted like. I would not love to know what it tasted like before. Right? We've all had water that we like had a disdain for potentially, right? Like a lot of times like uh, when you go to Florida, like the Florida water can taste bad. Like a lot of times, you know, you bring bottled water, you find ways to avoid drinking water uh, in other settings where maybe you're not used to the minerals or whatever can be found in the water. Whatever's going on here with the water, they're like, this ain't going to work. Like we can't drink it. Like it's going to be harmful to us. This log is thrown in, it becomes sweet. He's a God who can provide with miracles like this, but he's also a God who can provide with normal daily provision that doesn't feel so miraculous, and that's allowing them to go to Elam, this natural place where there's water. But he doesn't want them to feel the natural provision until they feel the supernatural provision, because he wants them to see that he is the source of provision. So first, let me take you to a place where it feels bitter, and you're reminded once again that you can't provide water for yourself, and then I'm going to miraculously change it and give you water. And then after that, I'm going to take you to another place, and this is how I'm going to normally provide for you, and that's going to be where you're just given good things, and it doesn't necessarily feel as miraculous, but I'm still the source of that too. You may not feel like God's working miracles on a daily basis to give you food, water, and shelter, but he is. Like that's him sustaining you and giving you exactly what you need. He does that for the bad parts of creation too as well. But he does it intentionally for his part of creation, his people. He works and moves in that way. The presence of this oasis should remind us not to conclude too quickly what the results of our bitter circumstances will truly be. This bitter circumstance situation was a blip on their journey, but it had an intentional lesson to be learned in it. They want something, they need something, they're having to wait for something, and there's a lesson in the midst of it. And you too may be at a point in life where you're wanting something and you're having to wait for something and you'd like to go ahead and get to the oasis and there's a lesson that needs to be learned in it. And more than likely, it's that God provides and that he is the source of provision. He wants us to grasp that lesson, right? Trials are going to keep coming. We don't get our happily ever after here. Bitter circumstances are intentional and purposeful. God wants us to, to learn lessons in the midst of it. And then number three, we believe that sweeter outcomes are promised for those who trust the Lord. Sweeter outcomes are promised for those who trust the Lord. The narrative here is that the children of Israel go through the wilderness. They look for water. They can't find it. After three days, they find some. It's bitter. They can't drink it. They grumble. Moses prays to God. God gives them a log to throw into the water. The water gets fixed, and now they can drink. But then the purpose behind all of it comes in verse 25. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, your healer. What's he saying here? <clears throat> well, he starts by number one, helping us to see that he wants them to listen, he wants them to trust, and he wants them to obey. And those are just basic lessons of growing up, right? 
Like if we're thinking about like how one matures and how one grows, think about your own children. These are things that we expect of our kids, right? We want them to listen to us. We want them to trust us. We want them to obey us. And when they show those things, we consider them maturing, and then we're willing to give them more responsibilities, right? Listening, trusting, obeying. And that's what God expects of us as his children too. He says, I want you to learn this lesson. I want you to listen to me. I want you to trust me. I want you to obey me. Listen to my instruction. Trust me for provision. Obey my commands. These are all signs of faithful submission to authority. His expectations are set now that he has saved them. To pass ongoing tests, they need to trust him with obedience to his word. Notice this principle that's given here. If the people would diligently listen to the voice of the Lord, he would graciously care for them as their healer. He says, give heed to what you already know, like, and obey those things. What's he told them to be obedient to? Keep the Passover, the unleavened feast, consecrate your firstborn when you get to the promised land. But there's a whole lot, of, a whole lot more instruction that's coming too, right? So he says, I want you to listen to me. I want you to trust me. I want you to obey me. These are lessons, basic lessons of growing up. And the principle here is if you'll do those things, then I'm going to care for you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to heal you, is what he says. Which leaves us with number two, the last point. Believing bitterness can be turned to sweetness leads to restfulness. Believing that bitterness can be turned to sweetness leads to restfulness. The Lord causes the bitter water to become sweet. That's the miracle that's worked here. He wants, to, he wants to burn that into their minds, that I brought you to a bitter situation and I made it sweet. All of us can testify of times where, where, where God worked and moved in the midst of trials and difficulties for good purposes. That's what he's promised to do, right? He works good for his children. Listening, trusting, and obeying, those are basic, basic lessons of growing up. Well, processes and purposes and provisions, those are basic amenities that come with a God who is sovereign, right? He has processes that he brings us through. He has purposes in those processes, and he always provides for us as well. And those are things that we can be thankful for because a sovereign God who's in control does those type of things. He works and moves in all aspects of our life and provides exactly what we need. He reveals himself as the, the God who heals. The, the Hebrew name here would be Yahweh Rapha. It's different than what the Egypt, Egyptians experienced, right? He says, you want to be treated differently than the Egyptians? Because their plagues, their trials, their difficulties, I mean, they had a lot of different purpose than what you're experiencing, right? Remember, he turned their water bitter too. He turned their water into blood. And they didn't have anything to drink either, but theirs was judgment and wrath for their disobedience. God brings the Israelites to bitter water and wants to teach them a lesson of how he heals and how he provides. He says, I'm the healer. What does that indicate to us? Well, it gives us two, I think, important points. Number one, they're going to encounter situations, even as his people, that will necessitate trusting him to make the situation right. Know what I said there? As the healer, he's saying, I'm the healer. What does that mean? You're going to find yourself in situations that need to be healed. Why? Because this is a fallen, sinful world. It's broken, right? And God hasn't fixed that yet. He's fixing it, but he hasn't removed sin and death completely. 
That's why we as believers have to grieve with hope because there's still going to be points of grieving. There's still going to be points where he doesn't physically heal here on this earth, but he can heal the situation by working good in the midst of death. He's the healer. He is going to put us in situations where they need to be fixed, and we can trust him to do the fixing. Secondly, he makes himself available to fix the situations we encounter that are bitter and turns them sweet. So him being our healer guarantees two things. One, we're going to have situations that need to be healed. And number two, as the healer, he's going to heal those situations. He's going to turn them from bitter to sweet. He's going to work and move and provide. There's a couple of points that I want you to remember about this aspect of provision. Because we started with our summary sentence by saying, the Lord has us on this journey of sanctification, right? Where he wants us to learn to trust his provision more and more. Particularly, particularly in the ways he works to heal those bitter circumstances and make them sweet. So what do we need to remember from this about his provision? How do we mature to trust his provision? Number one, we are being grown to face every circumstance with belief and trust in him without hesitation and without complaint. That's what God is trying to grow us into. And if that's what he's trying to grow us into, then we should expect those bad guys to keep showing up. Why? Because he wants to grow us to where when new circumstances come, we're believing and trusting in him without hesitation. We talk about this all the time here. We want to we wanna shorten the gap of time that it takes for bad circumstances to hit and for us to trust Jesus with it, right? We want to minimize the amount of time we spend feeling sorry for ourselves, grumbling and complaining, and we want to get to the point where we trust Jesus faster and faster without hesitation and without complaint. We're being grown for that. Until Jesus comes back, that's the journey we're on in our wilderness, to be grown, to trust him faster and faster with every circumstance that we face. Number two, growing spiritual, a growing spiritual maturity believes he will provide when the provision seems the most unlikely. I should have a comma there between growing and spiritual. Growing spiritual maturity believes He will provide when the provision seems the most unlikely. Remember, three days doesn't feel like a long time. They are on deathbed without water after three days. And they can't find any. And the only water they can find is bitter water. There's nowhere else to go. Where are we going to find this? Little do they know the oasis is within walking distance, right? But before they walk there, he's going to heal right here. He's going to provide in the most unlikely ways right here. For our maturity, our growing spiritual maturity, it means that we believe that he'll provide even when it feels most unlikely. Number three, we stop questioning if he will provide and instead we spend our time wondering how he will provide, waiting patiently until he does. Right? Instead of me sitting in the, in the closing office wondering, is God going to give me a house? Right? Instead, I should be daydreaming about how awesome the house is going to be. Right? Because he's going to provide. He, he leads us, right? He leads us and guides us and directs us. He doesn't put us in traps that we can't get out of, right? He's, he's a good God who's, who's bound himself to his people. He puts them in a spot where they have to trust him. And, and we would love to be exempt from being put in spots where we have to trust him if we're honest, right? Like, I'd like to just not have to trust him. I'd like to be able to do everything on my own because I trust myself far more than I trust him a lot of times. And I'd like to be able to just trust me and not have to worry about trusting him. 
But oftentimes he's going to put me in spots where the only water around is bitter, right? And I have to turn to him and say, where do you want me to go next? Or how are you going to heal and fix this? Because I can't do it. I can't do it. Two points application. Number one, we need to embrace the reality that circumstances will keep coming in your life that necessitate you trust him rather than complain. Like, that's a big one. Like, we got to get out of the mindset again that our happily ever after hits here. Because when we, when we really own up to that, right, then we're not shocked when three days later another great trial comes after the one we just came through. Embrace the reality. You're being grown to trust him more and more, which means you're going to be put in spots where you have to start trusting him more and more, right? Embrace the reality that circumstances will keep coming in your life that necessitate you trust him rather than complain. Number two, trust that bitter circumstances can be surrendered to him who heals by restoring and refreshing his children with sweetness. Trust that he can take the bitter circumstances that he leads us into and we can turn those back to him and he can heal it. He can restore it and he can refresh it with sweetness. And I can't imagine how good that water was after three days of not having any and drinking the sweet water, and then showing up at an oasis, right? Like this resort, it would have felt like for them, where water and palm trees, and, and they've, got, they've got plenty to drink. Man, what a, what a reminder it would have been about God's provision. We're going to see it doesn't take much longer for another trial to hit and for them to doubt him once again. Let us be different. Let us remember God's provision not forget it, not try to explain it away naturally, not focus on the bitter parts of our life, but to remember how he's made bitter sweet in the past. Trust that he'll do it again. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We praise you and thank you that you're this type of God. That you are the God who heals. Lord, we love to sing about that. We love to say that. We don't always like to admit the implications of that. God, for you to be the God who heals, it implies we're going to need healing. We're going to find ourselves in situations that need healing. So God, I pray that, that we would embrace this reality, that you are growing us up into spiritually mature men and women who trust you. Trust you for daily provisions. Trust you for ongoing bigger provisions. We do it without complaining. We do it without doubting. We do it without questioning. God, help us to see that you're going to keep bringing us through trial after trial after trial to grow us into that type of state. And Lord, help us to see that when you bring us into those trials, when you bring us into those bitter circumstances, we don't have to hit the panic button. We don't have to let the challenges and the difficulties throw us into despair and doubt that we can live in a state where we don't wonder if you're going to provide for us. The only questioning is how you're going to do it. Is it going to be by splitting the Red Sea? Is it going to be by throwing a log into the water? Like, how are you going to do it this time? Would help us to be the type of people who are anxiously waiting for your provision and not questioning it. Would mature our faith, grow our faith. And Lord, help us to realize by even praying that We should expect more trials to come so that you can grow our faith. Help us just not to miss the lessons that you desire for us to learn in that. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.